If you would turn your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, reading verses 5 and 6. The scripture reads, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be alway with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Our theme this year, redeeming the time in 2020. We went ahead and addressed that particular passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, on the first Sunday of the year. And in February, our verse was Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. It says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. And we consider the need to be diligent, because there's a time to work. In March, we looked at Romans 13, 11, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And we consider the importance of being vigilant, because it is a time to wake. This month, we're looking at this particular passage of Scripture, considering the need to be deliberate, for it is a time to walk. The word walk in Scripture is found, or, or, or some form of it, is found almost 300 times. Literally, it means moving, using one's limbs from one place to another. But figuratively, it refers to the state in which one is living, their deportment or their conduct, if you will. And it is that figurative sense of the word we're looking at today. Our text involves the believer's activity in relation to the lost. Again, notice verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Paul emphasizes our conduct before those who are without. What does that mean? The word without, it means outward, strange, or foreign, and here identifies those outside of the family of God. I have said this before, I no doubt will say it again, we are not better as Christians than lost folks, but we are better off because we have a certainty as to our future in heaven. Those who are without, those who are outside of the family of God, do not have that assurance. And it is this passage of scripture, like others, that emphasize the importance of living in such a way that others will be able to come in contact with us as believers and come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus made a distinction between his disciples and those who were outside or without uh, him. Mark chapter 4, verse 11, he said, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. So yes, there is a difference between Christians and non-Christians. Paul also made that same distinction in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he said, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth, therefore put away from you uh, among yourselves that wicked person. So again, Paul is drawing a distinction between those who are in the family of God and those who are outside of the family of God. But think about what that phrase means. 
those who are walking without. They're walking without hope beyond this life. They're walking without assurance of eternity with God. They're walking without help in facing the trials and traumas of life. They're walking without peace, security, fellowship, freedom from guilt. Isn't it a joy to know our sins are forgiven? Those who are without the family of God don't have that assurance. They're walking without the light. Contrary to popular views held by many in Christian circles today, how a Christian lives does matter. People can say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm saved on my way to heaven. I can live the way I want. I can do what I want. I can go where I want. I can say what I want. I can think what I want. It doesn't matter because I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Listen, when I got saved, God changed my wanter and gave me a desire to walk with him. And I trust he did the same with you. So I think a lot of folks who are professing Christians use that, that liberty in Christ or that claim to liberty in Christ to just justify their living a life of sin. You see, God expects us to live in such a way that it pleases him and gives testimony before those who are without there is hope in Christ. Now consider this, this idea of walking. It's used in scripture in a positive sense. I'll mention a couple of verses here. Romans chapter 6 verse 4, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Well that tells us right there, there ought to be something new, something different about us when we get saved. We ought not to walk as we did but as Christ did. Romans chapter 8, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Ephesians 4, 11, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Colossians 2, 6, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in heaven. Yes, there's a great deal of instruction in the New Testament telling us how we are to walk in a positive manner. But there are also a number of verses dealing with the opposite, the negative sense. Ephesians 4.17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Here the Lord says, that's the way the world walks. That's the way the Gentiles, and the reference there is the Gentiles would be those outside of Christ. He said they have a certain lifestyle that they live. We're not to be living that way. We're to be different than those who are without Christ. 2 Peter 3.3, 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. We're supposed to flee youthful lust, the scripture says. We're supposed to say no to the desires of the flesh. Paul said, I keep my body under subjection. He said, I have to constantly fight my flesh, not give in to it. I think the following passage gives us one of the most excellent descriptions of the contrast between how one ought to live and how one, how one ought not to live. First John chapter 6. Excuse me, there aren't six chapters in 1 John. I'm sorry, it's 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So there you go. Walk in darkness, we lie. Walk in the light, our sins are forgiven and we are in fellowship with Christ. Which path would you rather be walking? The path of darkness or the path of light? The scripture is pretty clear in that. Well, we're going to consider this topic of walking in these three areas as we look at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 here. We're going to look at uh, how we are to live like others are looking. We're supposed to speak like others are listening. And we're supposed to care like others are longing. A simple uh, outline this morning. So notice with me Colossians chapter 4 verse 5. It starts out by saying, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. In redeeming the time, our conduct toward outsiders is essential. You know, we've heard a lot about essential services over the last couple of months, haven't we? Well, for believers Living like Christ before the lost is now and always has been essential. It has been important that we live in such a way that our everyday behavior is a testimony of the fact that we are saved and we're on our way to heaven. We recognize people are watching us. People are looking at us. People are wondering, is there something to this Christianity? Maybe you remember, well, you do remember when you first got saved, but maybe you were in a situation where you had a lot of lost friends. And when you got saved, you started living for the Lord. You started doing things differently. And people were looking at you thinking, is this going to stick? Is this real? I mean, is this guy serious? Does she really think I'm going to believe that she got saved? Well, after a while, as we lived for the Lord, as we grew and matured in the faith, people saw that it wasn't just a whim. It wasn't a passing fad. It wasn't something that just caught our fancy. But no, we became a new creature in Christ. And they saw there was something different about us. You remember those days? I hope our attitude today is still the same. That today I want to live differently than the world. I want to live in such a way that people outside these walls see there is something about me they don't have or they need. Edgar Guest is credited with saying, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. You know, this doesn't mean that Christians should not also confess Christ with their lips, but the point is our walk should correspond with our talk. What we do ought to equate to what we say. Someone has said, high talk, low walk is the bane of many Christians, and certainly that's true. We need to make sure we live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and that is convincing to the world around us. Romans 13, 13 says, Let us walk honestly. Ephesians 2, 10 
tells us we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You understand, we're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, plus nothing and minus nothing. We are not required to maintain our salvation based on our good works. No, we are his workmanship. We are eternally secure in Christ and we have a home in heaven today if we know our sins are forgiven and we're trusting Christ as Savior. However, in a te- as, as a testimony to the Lord and before the lost, we are to live according to the good works God has instructed us to as set forth in his word. And that's what Ephesians chapter 2 verses, verse 10 is talking about. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That means God has a purpose for every one of his children that we live a life that's pleasing to him. Ephesians 5.15, Paul said, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Why? Because people are watching. They're looking at us. They want to know, is there something to this matter of Christianity? And then he goes on to say, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. This emphasizes the need to buy up the opportunities the Lord sends our way. Yes, it's the same emphasis as we see in other passages of Scripture that use that same phrase. It's the idea that we ought not to waste our lives, especially recognizing we are living in the last days. For the New Testament church, we ought not to waste our lives chasing after the things of this world and fail to do that which is most important. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 tells us to walk in love. Colossians 1.10 says that you walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 Yes, that we may walk honestly toward them that are without. God desires we would walk. We would live in such a way that makes a difference in the lives who watch us. Theodore Epp is credited with saying, Live as though Christ died yesterday rose from the grave today, and is coming back tomorrow. Well, if we had that thought in mind, it would certainly help to keep things in perspective, wouldn't it? The story is told of a Christian, a pastor, a missionary, going to Mahatma Gandhi back in India many years ago. And when approaching Mahatma Gandhi, he said, what do we need to do to allow Christianity to be more acceptable in India. You know what that man said? He said, I would suggest first that all of you Christians begin to live more like Jesus Christ. What a rebuke. What a rebuke. Is that something we need to hear spoken to us today? You want to be more effective as a Christian? You want to have a greater impact on the lost? You want to be more influential in your family or at work? Do we need to be hit between the the eyes with the statement, you know, if you live a little bit more like Christ, you'd be more effective? I hope not. But if that's the case, please consider that. Looking also at Colossians chapter 4, back in our text at verse 6, we move on to the second thought. 
We need to speak like others are listening. We know people are looking at us, but we also recognize people are listening. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. If our conversation is always to be with grace, it must be more courteous, humble, and Christ-like. I think a few too many Christians are looking for an opportunity to give somebody a piece of their mind. We're so frustrated, we're so angry, we're so just, just fed up with what's going on in the world today. We would just like to vent. You ever use that phrase? We just want to vent. We just want to tell somebody what we think. Well, it'd be better to tell somebody what we know because they're listening. And our speech is to be with grace. It is to be gracious, not gossipy. Not backbiting, not backbiting, not tail-bearing, not frivolous, not filthy. But our speech is to be such that it is seasoned with salt. What does that mean? There are actually several different views um, by common, held by commentators as to what that phrase here means. Some think it means to allow our language to be gracious and should be equally honest and without hypocrisy. Well, that's true. Others think that um, uh, think of salt as that which heightens flavor. And so Paul is saying here that our conversation should never be dull, flat, uh, or insipid, but should always be worthwhile and profitable. Lightfoot, another commentator, says that uh, heathen writers use the word salt as a figure of speech for wit, and believes Paul has now substituted this idea of salt for wisdom as opposed to wit. Well, whatever the case, let's consider what the Lord said. How about uh, the woman at the well? John chapter 4, verse 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And then later in that passage, in John chapter 4, verse 16, he said, Go, call thy husband and come hither. Now, you're familiar with that conversation. Scripture tells us Paul, uh, Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. He ended up at the, uh, the uh, Jacob's well there with the woman uh, of Samaria. She was surprised that he was speaking to her, much less asking her for water, because the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. You're familiar with that story. And he says, Give me to drink. There was his mark of grace, willing to communicate, willing to receive something from somebody unlike him. People today talk a lot about racial or social diversity, and they talk about how you're, you're interfering with my beliefs and my background and my race. If you do something, if you wear something, if you say something that... Well, they call it cultural misappropriation. <laughs> and it's gotten so out of control and overboard that people are mocked if an American would wear a Mexican sombrero or so many other strange examples. But Jesus wasn't worried about any of that when he said to this woman, give me to drink. So he'd been, he, he demonstrated grace to her. And then after their conversation back and forth, he says, go call your husband. Ooh, there's the rebuke. You see, salt, it is to be gracious, but it also to be cleansing. 
and preserving. So an interesting thought there as Jesus used that idea. How about in John chapter 8 with the woman taken in adultery? Uh, he said unto her, uh, she said, no, he said, where are your accusers? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. First, the grace, neither do I condemn thee. And then the salt. Go and sin no more. So the idea that Paul is saying our speech is to be gracious. It's to be seasoned with salt. We are to be kind in our communication. Ephesians 5, you know, uh, let no corrupt communication out of your mouth. We are to be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But we are also to present the truth of the Word of God in such a way that it will make a difference in people's lives. It's kind of like the positive and the negative. Both sides of the battery are important if you want to get juice to flow through the circuit. So this idea that we never say anything negative to anybody because we don't want to hurt their feelings, that's a foolish argument because it's only giving them half of what they need. The Bible tells us we're to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And have you noticed there's a good bit of scripture that come across as warnings. Do this, don't do that. Go there, don't go there. Say this, don't say that. So to withhold one half of that equation from somebody is going to leave them short. So I believe that's what Paul is getting at here in this passage of Scripture, that, our, that we speak with grace and that our speech be seasoned with salt, that we be generous, that we be kind, that we be gracious and compassionate toward people, but that we tell them the truth. For the Scripture declares the truth will set you free. So here, Paul is emphasizing this great truth. You know, we need to speak in such a way that others can both comprehend what we're saying and they can observe the genuineness of our communication. Back to the idea of talk the talk, walk the walk. The idea of making sure that what we say meshes with what we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Let's not be guilty of mishandling the word of God, of wrongly interpreting the word of God. We are to rightly divide the truth of Scripture and declare to people, thus saith the Lord. And let me interject this here. Thus saith Brother Gene doesn't do a whole lot to get somebody into heaven. We have our opinions, we have our feelings, we have our thoughts on subjects, but what people need to hear is thus saith the Lord. When we speak to people, make sure we're sticking with the scripture. F.W. Faber said the art of saying appropriate words in a kindly way is one that never goes out of fashion. It never ceases to please and is within the reach of the humblest. Each of us have the ability to speak to people kindly and in such a way they will believe it. You know, credibility. Credibility is such an important matter. 
but so many people lack credibility today. Can you name four or five media personalities that you would consider to be credible commentators? I I don't know. I couldn't. I mean, there was a time when, who was it, Walter Cronkite was considered the most credible man in the country. I believe it was Walter Cronkite. But, you know, back in the day, uh, the media reported news. Now, today, the media directs the news. They invent the news. They decide what is news and what isn't. Credibility. David Cummings, pastor who's uh, now with the Lord, he said, people will accept your ideas much more readily if you tell them Benjamin Franklin said it first. <laughs> you know, it's the idea that try to establish credibility so people will actually listen to what you're saying. You know, if we stick to the book and point people to what the Word of God says, that's going to go a long way in establishing credibility. That way they can't throw it back in your face and say, well, that's your interpretation. That's what you think. No, that's what the Word of God says. Black ink on white paper lends a great deal of credibility to what we say as long as we don't counter the Word of God with our lives. Well, the third thought here, Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. We know people are looking. We know people are listening. Beloved, we also know people are longing. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. That phrase, that ye know how how ye ought to answer every man. It presupposes people want answers. Would you agree with me today? People are searching for answers. People want to know what they can believe. People want to know what information is out there that is credible and is going to help them. I believe people today want to know the truth. Problem is they don't know who to listen to. With all the confusion and misinformation that's being broadcast today, people don't know which way to turn. But as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ... As one who chooses, whether man, woman, boy, or girl, to walk according to the word of God before those who are without, we can demonstrate kindness and compassion to them that will truly make a difference. You know, this truth is also spoken plainly in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let me illustrate it this way. Flashlight, an incredible tool. Hurricane season's coming up. I hope you've got one or two good flashlights. Make sure they've got batteries. Make sure they work. Make sure you can find them if you need them. But flashlight's a tremendous tool for seeing your way in the dark. But have you ever been outside talking with somebody who's holding a flashlight and they shine it directly in your eyes? You can't see a thing. It's the same amount of light when it's pointed at your feet or pointed at your eyes. But one is helpful, the other is not. You see, so many times we as Christians, we're so concerned about yielding the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that rather than using it the way God expects us to use it, we end up using it like a bludgeon. 
and beating people over the head with it. Listen, it's not our responsibility to shame somebody or to mock them or to embarrass them into trusting Christ. That's not how God wants us to use his word. It's not to be manipulated. No, it's to be presented to people so they can go ahead and hear it, evaluate it, and let the Spirit of God get it down into their heart so they can accept it. That is accomplished through compassion. I believe people today are longing to know the truth. And they need to know, come in contact with someone who not only knows it, who not only lives it, but also who cares enough for them to present it. This comes into the responsibility for us to walk toward those who are without in such a way that it generates a thirst in their heart and their soul that they would want what we have. People are longing for hope. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know, I believe there are many people today who truly have a desire to know what it is like to not walk in condemnation. Look at John chapter 3 with me, if you would. We'll be done here in just a moment. But let's look at this one. John chapter 3, verse 16, is such a familiar passage of Scripture that when people think of that passage, that's the only verse they, they, they give any consideration to. But look what else our Lord has to say here in this passage. Notice John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse well. But notice verse 17. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. People ask, well, why did Jesus Christ have to die on the cross? Why was it necessary for God to send his son? Is because all mankind is lost and without hope outside of Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 tells us, Death passed upon all men for that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, Jesus came to give us hope. People today, they would like to take advantage of that hope. They would like to benefit, benefit from that free grace. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1 tells us, Furthermore then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. You've learned from us how to live. You've benefited from our message. Now you live in such a way that you will abound more and more and others will be able to benefit from that great message. See, it's not something that, that I get, I receive, I am blessed by, and it ends right there. No, Christianity, the message of grace, shouldn't die with us. It should continue on through our lives, through our speech, through our testimonies, and through our desire. Beloved, God desires we would live in such a way 
that people will come to know Christ and the compassion we demonstrate to others can go a long way in accomplishing that goal. Frederick Collins stated there are two types of people. Those who come into a room and say, well, here I am. And those who come in and say, ah, there you are. You see, the Lord came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Do we have a burden, a concern? Do we have care for others? These three areas, we need to live like others are looking. We need to speak like others are listening. And we need to care like others are longing. In order to do that, we must follow the admonition of Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me finish with this illustration, a true story. It's been told about Dr. Will H. Houghton, who pastored the Calvary Baptist Church in New York City and later served as president of Chicago's Moody Bible Institute until his death in 1946. But when Dr. Houghton became pastor of the Baptist Tabernacle in Atlanta, a man in that city hired a private detective to follow Dr. Houghton and report on his conduct. After a few weeks, the detective was able to report to the man who hired him that Dr. Houghton's life matched his preaching. As a result, that man got saved. If somebody's looking at us to determine whether or not our life matches our preaching, will it make a difference for them? Harry Ironside said, if lips and life do not agree, the testimony will not amount to much. God help us that we would take advantage of the opportunity God has given us to walk in wisdom toward them that are without.